Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I'm your co-host, Ken Hellenius. Sitting across from me in the virtual studio is the man who invented Hawaiian pizza, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. Hello, Ken. How you doing? And many people around the world are thanking me right now. Many, Hawaiian many. Pizza. <laughs> Although I don't particularly eat that myself, but <laughs> you know, but uh, but it's all good. The kids, the kids love it. You know, so. the kids love it. Yeah, it's. Uh, I heard a fascinating story on, I think it was on NPR, kind of trying to figure out how much pepperoni that's made in America goes on to pizzas. And what they figured out is that only about 50% of the pepperoni in the United States ends up on a pizza. And that number just seems really, really low to me. <laughs> yeah. Because, uh, I mean, where else do you see pepperoni ever? Well, like, well, let's see. Subs on Italian sub. Isn't isn't pepperoni uh, okay. one of the yeah, ingredients on an Italian sub? All right. All right. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess. But I mean, like. Do you ever see anybody actually just eating pepperoni straight out? Well, you know, um, as hors d'oeuvres, like the, you know, they have cheese and crackers, and then pepperonis oh, will right. be part of that. You know, like a salami pepperoni and some other All right. things All like right. that well, as well. And you got your keto diets too. That's, oh, that's right. Keto that's dieters, right. The keto exactly. Folks. That's right. It's funny that uh, the non-keto uh, producer John is the one who reminds us <laughs> about that. Uh, well, he's awkward. Well, you know, he's also a nurse, so he's just trying to keep us all healthy here. So. He's, <laughs> he's got everything good. That guy is. Uh, we're going to change this into a medical medical <laughs> reference. <show. laughs> The views yeah, expressed on this show do not uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> reflect. Right. We are we well, are just trained eaters, not trained uh, not trained doctors. Well, you know, uh, <laughs> one, so one thing one thing I want to do is I want to uh, take a, a opportunity here to thank all of our uh, listeners uh, for for uh, Living Stones. You know, we now yes. we now have listeners in a variety of uh, of different places on uh, different radio networks. Uh, it's all just uh, all very exciting. And, uh, you know, we we're in on in Ohio and Kansas and Indiana, Missouri, Illinois, Louisiana, Oklahoma, Oregon, Washington, Pennsylvania and Kentucky. So Can you believe that. Yeah, I know. That's, wow. that's pretty awesome. I want to thank all of the affiliates out there for uh, for airing Living Stones and all the wonderful listeners, um, you know, for, for your support and for your prayers. No, Ken and I love doing this show, and we hope that it's a, truly is a spiritual benefit for you and uh, and for your families and and for your uh, for your parish, even for your your uh, your kids. You know, just educating about the faith. Um, you know, putting some some uh, flesh on the bones, you know, of our faith, and really mm-hmm, rolling up our mm-hmm. sleeves and and diving into issues, not being afraid to talk about difficult things and in the life of the church. And uh, we hope it's been a real blessing for you. You've all been a, a true blessing to us. So I just want to say thank you to all of our affiliates and to all of our listeners, especially the, and the podcast too. A lot of you know, a That's lot right. of people I've been traveling around can listen on podcasts, especially the younger folks. So podcasts are really important. Well, I'm a big fan of podcasting because it lets me listen, you know, kind of on my own time, uh, you know, while I'm brushing the teeth or what have you. But Mm -hmm. uh, I am one who every time I get a chance to talk about the power of Catholic radio, I am there. I am, uh, you know, one of the biggest champions because I think Catholic radio is 
an important aspect of daily encouragement in our Christian walk, in our Christian discipleship. And um, it's a blessing to me to be able to, um, you know, express my own ministry in Catholic radio, to be able to share um, the joy of being Catholic. I mean, I love this half hour that we get to spend together every week, you know, Deacon, you and I and and, and uh, Producer John. I think um, it's just a joy to be able to talk about and rejoice in our faith yes, together. Amen. And and so to be able to have a, a you know radio audience that we that we share this this joy with that is um it's this is an important ministry and so um thank you to all of the people that make Catholic radio possible all the the um producers and station managers and and all of the staffs and all of the volunteers that make it possible thank you to all the generous benefactors who um support your local stations and uh so thank you very much for for listening and for being part of this ministry with us yes amen preach it brother Absolutely. Well, we're continuing uh, our discussion of the apostolic fathers. We mentioned that, um, you know, we talked about uh, right after the apostles, you know, kind of Acts of the Apostles kind of ends kind of uh, abruptly there. And and, uh, the the Catholic Church always talks about the, the, uh, well, church fathers, but we're, we're, so we're talking about the apostolic fathers and the church fathers and the desert fathers. Those are kinds of the three groupings. So we're talking about um, some of the, the, the great men of the church, leaders of the church right during the time of the apostles or right immediately after the time of the apostles. And so this is very, very early in the church. And last week we had a great discussion. If you, speaking of podcasts, if you missed it, make sure you download last week's episode. We talk about St. Clement, uh, who was the Bishop of Rome. So he was the fourth Pope. So does Peter, um, uh, Linus, Cletus, and then uh, Clement. So, uh, and but today we're talking about a guy. I mean, this guy's letter. I mean, every time I read this in the Office of Readings, I can't help but think this guy's a little nuts, man. <laughs> I mean, talk about a passion to die. I mean, I can understand. Yeah. Okay, I'm, my life is going to end here. I'm going to die for my faith and preparing yourself for that. But this guy was like <laughs> almost like enthusiastic or joyful about being eaten alive by wild yeah. animals. I'm like, uh, okay, but, 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 we'll, but I, we'll see as we, as kind of, we, we kind of, um, break this open and unfold it. We'll see that he was really passionate about being with Christ. And it was yes. out of a deep love of wanting to be in intimate relationship with Jesus Christ to be in the presence of Christ forever. That's what motivated his love and his desire. So we're talking about Ignatius of Antioch. Uh, and much like with Clement, because he's so early, um, we we have to say we know nothing for certain about his life before the letters that he wrote. Uh, tradition says that he and uh, and Polycarp were both disciples of the Apostle John. Uh, and of course, John dies somewhere in the 90s. And so um, and Ignatius was born somewhere around 50. So he would have been a, a young um, convert. Um he was the third bishop of Antioch. Now, Antioch is an interesting town because it, it's mentioned, of course, as the first place where Christians were called Christians. We hear this in the book of Acts, chapter 11, verse 26. So the first bishop of Antioch is traditionally Peter. And so that makes um, Ignatius the third or the second successor to Peter in Antioch. 
So Antioch was one of the um, the great metropolitan bishoprics. You know, we think of Rome and Antioch and Alexandria, Jerusalem, Constantinople. These are important places where they had great influence over their local church. And Ignatius was bishop of Antioch. Um, he was condemned, and we don't really know why. We don't. It's not clear why he was condemned and sent to Rome, but we know that he was, and he was sent to be martyred. Um, and he was accompanied by Roman soldiers, but they took the least efficient route ever to get him to Rome. <laughs> because in the on the way, he had time to stop and write letters and greet the local churches, much like St. Paul did, but it's not obvious that he was a Roman citizen because he was in chains and mm. you could only be chained up if you weren't a Roman citizen. And if he was a Roman citizen, he would have been normally killed at home. So it's not really clear why, but he, he was then on his way. Um, and as I say, he stopped along the way and he had time to write letters to encourage the local churches. And he wrote six letters, which are considered authentic and then uh, to, to different churches. And then he wrote a seventh letter to his friend Polycarp. So we have six seven authentic letters of St. Ignatius uh, of Antioch. Uh, in these letters, he calls himself Theophorus, which means God-bearer. So we think of his name as Ignatius Theophorus. Um, and we know that he was martyred, but again, we don't know for certain whether it was under the Emperor Trajan in 108, or whether there's some scholars who say maybe it was more like 140. The church pretty much acknowledges and says it was 108. That seems to be attested to by Eusebius, the early church historian, um, and that and it would kind of fit with the years. Um, we think that he wrote most of his letters in 107 and then was killed in 108. His feast day is October 17th, so it's coming up here uh, just a little bit later this month. And his iconographic signal symbols are uh, a bishop wearing the pallium, uh, kind of the Eastern style pallium, like a like a really long um, stole with a, a white stole with black crosses on it, um, and a lion because he was martyred in the Colosseum. Uh, in uh, called the Flavian Amphitheater. He was uh, thrown to the lions, is the tradition, uh, and so the wild beasts. And uh, as you mentioned, Deacon, he was looking forward to that. Um, and then one last little bit before we get to the content of his letters, his relics were transferred to the Basilica of San Clemente in 637, the same San Clemente of St. Clement, whom we chatted about last week. So when you go to visit the Basilica of St. Clement's in Rome, you will be under the high altar are the relics of St. Clement, the first pope, and St. Ignatius of Antioch are both contained under the high altar. And as a bonus, to the right of the altar are the are the relics of Saints Cyril and Methodius. So wow. you want to talk about spiritual richness. Um, that church has four awesome saints in one location and it's it's right near the Colosseum so it's it's really awesome so. oh man I you know and I, I think I, I we drove by there but I don't think I've ever been inside I definitely definitely got to stop there next yeah. time I'm in Rome for sure last time I was there in October well not not that of course I was there just last month but um a year ago, we actually got to do the tour underneath St. Clement's oh, Basilica. Wow. And Cause you get down and you, you go down underneath the current Basilica, which is built on top of St. Constantine or Constantine's Basilica. And then below that is the original house church. So you go three levels down. Um, and it's just beautiful inside. There's beautiful mosaic that, um, there's a photo of that mosaic in the catechism. St. St. Clemente or St. Clement's is a church absolutely worth going on pilgrimage to if you have 
ever make it to Rome. Do make no, sure you stop wow. by and see. Absolutely. So I mentioned that uh, St. Ignatius of Antioch wrote um, seven letters that we that we consider authentic. Um, and uh, these letters were to some of the churches that we've heard of before and others, uh, other cities that we we may not know about much about uh, today. So he wrote to the Ephesians, the Magnesians, not milk um, of Magnesians, not the milk of Magnesia. Exactly. <laughs> the Tralians, the Romans, the Philadelphians, the and the Smyrnans. And then um, and then he wrote to Polycarp of Smyrna, who was Bishop of Smyrna. So um, so. I think it'd be interesting to kind of look at some of the themes that come from within these letters because Ignatius is vitally important. Again, he dies in 108. So again, he dies just after the last of the apostles died. He had a, a physical link to St. John as being a, a, a disciple of St. John the Apostle. So he is writing to the church to encourage them with what he even says is the ancient traditions and the hierarchy and the Eucharist and uh, unity. I mean, themes that are vitally important that much like the themes of the letter of St. Clement are perennially important, like they're issues we have today. Yes. And so, so, um, his first letter was to the Ephesians. Um, and in the letter, he actually mentions St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians. So again, this is another saint writing to a church that St. Paul had encouraged as well. Um, he, um, the theme of the letter really is obedience to the bishop and to his priests and deacons in their proper order. Um, and he says in chapter six of the letter of his letter to the Ephesians, we should look upon the bishop even as we would upon the Lord himself. Mm. So he's like saying the bishop stands in place of the Lord in our community. And that's, you know, we today think of the bishop as being an apostle, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So when we gather around our bishop, our archbishop, um, you know, in the cathedral, we are gathering with the apostles. And that is the core of apostolic succession, what is what we are looking at today. So this is attributed to, and, and this is already in evidence in the year 108. Okay. That's it. We're not making this up, kids. This is truth, <laughs> you know? Uh, so that's kind of his letter to the Ephesians. Yeah. And he also talks about the, uh, uh, the priests and the deacons too. Right. So right. he talks, he said, so the, the bishops are standing for, for, uh, for Christ. And what do you right. say about the priests and the deacons? So he says that the priests, uh, he actually kind of specifically, um, uh, in his letter to the Smyrnans later, he said, um, see that you all follow the bishop, even as Jesus Christ does the father and the presbytery or the priests, as you would the apostles ah. and reverence the deacons as being the institution of God. So like specifically, he says, you know, we think of, again, the, the bishop is Christ in our community. The priests here are like the apostles and the deacons are the workers of the Lord. Yeah, you know, so which is beautiful because um, we, we represent the people at the altar as exactly. deacons during liturgical service. So liturgically, that folds out perfectly. Exactly. Wonderful. He he writes that same thing to the Magnesians. Um, again, not the milk of Magnesia, but he says um, <laughs> again uh, here the theme is obey your bishop even if he looks like a young kid. So apparently their bishop didn't yet have a beard because um, <laughs> because like multiple times in his letter to the Magnesians, he says, I know your bishop looks young, but obey him anyways, because he stands in the place of Christ. And that's a really, really kind of funny image for us to think of. But we've met I've met a bishop who's 37 years old, 
you know, talk about a young kid, um, but he has the spiritual authority of Christ in the community. Yeah, I, I met a bishop when he was... Uh, uh, I guess he was in his early 40s, and he was uh, uh, Bishop Oscar Cantu, who's now the uh, bishop oh, yeah. in uh, uh, San Jose, California. Yes, when I yes. first met him, he was auxiliary bishop of uh, uh, San Antonio, and right. uh, and I, he was the first bishop I ever served for who was younger than me. You know, and it was funny at dinner at dinner that night, you know, I said, because he was telling me he was one of the youngest bishops in the entire world when he was selected. Right. And I said, what was that like? And he put, he goes into his wall. He pulls out this little um, newspaper thing. You know, you know those political cartoons? Well, they, they yes. had one of him. It wasn't really mocking. It was just funny. They had a picture of this like kid, like his vestments were way too big. The miter went over his, like just above his eyes. And, it, and for a crozier, he had a balloon in his head. <laughs> and it was just, it was just a funny way of just saying, look, this guy was really young when he was selected to be a bishop. Yeah. So you oh can see gosh. what it, you know, the uh, concern the community had. This guy's so young. You know, how, right. how could he, what experiences he had? How could he lead us? And right. Ignatius say, well, no, we have to be faithful. This was the one that was obviously he was selected. They laid hands on him and, and yeah. made him a bishop. So obviously God's, so the Holy Spirit selected him. So, you know, he may be young, but that's okay. You know, um, uh, obey him. That, that's you that's, know, the, that's the, how it works. In the New Testament, we read about it's kind of the earliest structures of the church. And they talk about the elders, you know, the elders and the presbyters are the words that get used in there. Um here in this letter written in 107, Ignatius is pointing out the term elder is not referring to age, but it's referring to rank in, in, the, yes. order, in the divine order of the church. The bishop is that elder, you know, mm. and is that, that person who is to be looked at no matter how young he is in physical age. Yeah. Episcopoi is a, a overseer is the word that's overseer, used in Greek for yeah. the bishop. Yeah. So he goes on to tell them, I exhort you to study all things with a divine harmony while your bishop presides in the place of God and your presbyters in the place of the assembly of the apostles, along with your deacons who are most dear to me oh, yes. and are entrusted with the ministry of Jesus Christ, who was with the father before the beginning of time and in the end was revealed. So, yes, Irenaeus, give yes. props to the deacons. <laughs> That's right. Bishops but that just shows, you know, the de- diaconate goes all the way back to the early church. You know, mm-hmm. we see it in Acts chapter six, you know, right. but, but here, even in these letters, you know, we see that the deacons are exercising roles of ministry, assisting the, the, the priests and, and the bishops and that That's they right. had an important role and still have an important role in the life of the church. Yeah. Um, as therefore the Lord did nothing without the father being united to him, neither by himself nor by the apostles. So neither do anything without the bishop and presbyters, he says. So again, he's pointing to unity in the church and to, to the proper, uh, kind of hierarchical structure. Again, this is important for us. Um, he also in the letter to the Magnesians speaks of the observance of the Lord's day in opposition to Sabbath observance. So already in 107, he's saying we as Christians observe Sunday as our Sabbath because it's the day of the resurrection of the Lord. So 
we, you know, for our brothers and sisters who are Seventh Day Adventists and things like that, this is already attributed to while the while the apostles had just passed away. So this is the church, the structure of the church in 107 already is to observe the Lord's Day. Yeah, and the fact is, we don't celebrate the Sabbath. We're not we're we're not as Christians. Right. We're not Jews. You know, the, right. the, the, the Sabbath is Saturday. We celebrate the Lord's Day, or what's called the Eighth Day, the Day of Resurrection. It's not a Sabbath for us. It's just that. That's the, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Amen. So then to the Tralians, he, um, he again, with the image of, um, let all reverence the deacons as Jesus Christ is also the bishop regarding him as a type of the father and the presbyters as the council of God and the band of the apostles. Without these, there is no church deserving of the name. Wow. So here he says, without bishops, priests, and deacons, you're not in a legit church. You know, Ken, you know, I, this, this has got me thinking. You know, uh, we looked at Clement. Now we're looking at Ignatius. And they both their letters, I mean, they talked about many things, but this recurring theme of the hierarchy. So there, there must have been some confusion in that early church. Yes, do some of it some of it due to the the young upstarts who are looking for power and authority, trying to think of the the hierarchy of the church as a secular model. You know, that this must work the same way as the secular culture does it. And they were the uh, Ignatius and Clement were pointing out, no, that's not how it works. They were bringing back to a proper understanding. But I'm thinking also maybe for the Jewish converts, maybe they were thinking of instead of seeing the hierarchy as a fulfillment of the Old Testament structure, now we had the high priests, then you had the priests, then you had the Levites, you know, right. so maybe that because of Christ, we don't need that, especially the way Paul writes, right? You know, the, the, right. leave that stuff behind. Let's focus on Christ. Um, but there, but there still needs to be a structure in place. Again, Jesus, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. So I think people need to understand when they have problems with quote unquote hierarchy, they need to understand that this was instituted by Jesus Christ and the job of the hierarchy is to serve the people of God. They exercise authority, uh, which is always subordinate to service. That's why the Pope himself is called the servant of the servants of God. You know, and that's why Jesus washed the feet of the apostles at the Last Supper in John's gospel to, sh- to, to show them that headship and leadership and authority is rooted in service. You know, I'm in your midst as one who serves. Yeah. And so we got to avoid this, you know, uh, clericalism in the sense that where someone is in that kind of position says, well, look at my kiss, my ring all the time. And, you know, you know, I mean, kissing the Pope's ring is great. But I mean, if the Pope sticks his hand out, here it is. Kiss it. You know, or or, yeah, you know, yeah. or, or, they, or they just just got this air about them where they just like, you know, look at the, uh, the uh, position that I'm in, that kind of thing. You know, but that's not really what it's all about. We have to look at, you know, and maybe be helpful that people are struggling with the idea of hierarchy in the church to go back and read these letters by yeah. by Clement and, and uh, uh, Ignatius and, and just kind of learn well here's how the church understood hierarchy and 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 say oh, and, and have some hope that hold on you know this is what it's about let's focus on that let's focus on this understanding the proper understanding and maybe not some of the things that are confusing in our, in our time today I'm with you absolutely he um he goes on to say, you know, that it's important that the community be one in unity and that this unity is at the core of the church because it's reflective of the divine life. As, uh, as Pope Benedict in his commentary on it, he said that, um, 
For Ignatius, unity was first and foremost a prerogative of God, who, since he exists as three persons, is one in absolute unity. Unity, to be brought about on this earth by Christians, is no more than an imitation as close as possible to the divine archetype. So yeah. that's why he's so, he keeps coming back to this theme over and over. Um, and as a matter of fact, Benedict calls him the doctor of unity. Um, and that he says, always be in communion with your bishop. Um, the other thing that's particularly interesting about, about Ignatius is that he is um, writing about how Christ was truly made flesh. Christ was truly born of Mary. He truly died. He was truly risen in the flesh. And he emphasizes this because at the time there was a growing heresy called docetism. And docetism was the idea that Jesus just appeared to suffer, that he just appeared to be in the flesh. And and that is not at all true, that Christ truly did take flesh, and that that's why the Eucharist is so important, because the Eucharist is itself the true flesh of Christ. He says to the, in his letter to the Smyrnians, uh, after his resurrection, he ate and drank with them as being possessed of flesh, although spiritually he was united to the Father. But he goes on to say that they, that they the Docetists, Abstain from the Eucharist and from prayer because they confess not the Eucharist to be the flesh of our Savior Jesus Christ, which suffered for our sins, and which the Father of his goodness raised up again. Those, therefore, who speak against this gift of God, meaning the Eucharist, they incur death in the midst of their disputes. But it were better for them to treat it with respect that they also might rise again. Here yeah, in 107, beautiful. he's emphasizing that the Eucharist is truly the flesh of God, the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Yep. That is vital for us. And uh, and just one last point here uh, before we wrap up. He was yeah. also the first person to use the, 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 the word Catholic or universal. That's right. In his letter to the, the Smyrnians, uh, he talked about uh, there uh, where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. And uh, the word Catholicos means according to the whole. Again, this idea of unity. It's so delightful that uh, we've been able to kind of give just this brief touch of the life of St. Ignatius this evening. Ignatius of Antioch, we'll put links to his letters. And of course, you can always uh, discover uh, all the topics that we've talked about on the show by visiting us at livingstonesmedia.org. If you're on Twitter, you can find us at Catholic Stones. We're also on Facebook. Just type in Living Stones and you just look for the smiling visage of Deacon Harold and and, <laughs> your, and me, Ken Hellenius. But uh, until we gather next week, Deacon... Might we have a blessing? May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.